Well, lots of people in this country aren't unfamiliar, unfortunately, with the idea of threats and the idea of people making threats, perhaps not anywhere near the level of what Salman Rushdie's had to endure over the past three decades, but certainly uh, the kinds of threats that are meant to intimidate and meant to shut people up nonetheless. Um, and social media times may seem like a place where threats are thrown around with abandon. Uh, my next guest says the attack on Friday is a reminder of just how seriously they should be taken and why people should speak up about them. Joining me now is independent Senator for Alberta and longtime journalist Paula Simons. Thank you so much for your time. Welcome back. Thanks very much, Ben. Nice to be back with you. It was, it was really interesting. I was I was reading your, your Twitter thread after I finished the show on Friday. and was really struck by just the, the tone you took. And this is something really interesting because it's something that someone in your position, both as a former journalist and someone in public life, understands all too well. And that is just the idea that of, of how intimidation and threats are used by people, all kinds of people, uh, to really to try to, to get people to stop talking. And it was fascinating. What made you decide to sort of sit down and think about it? Because I know you've met Salman Rushdie, so I can only imagine that it had an impact on you as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I've I've been a huge Salman Rushdie fan since I was, I guess, a, a university student. I think the first book of hers, I don't know if it was Midnight's Children or Shame that I read first, but, you know, I had bought the Satanic Verses before the fatwa, before it became, you know, this this lightning rod. And, you know, I remember at the time, you know, there was this this great tension in sort of Western liberal discourse about whether or not he'd sort of brought this on himself and, you know, that, that he'd been insensitive to to the feelings of Muslims. And, and I can understand that argument intellectually, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I'm a, a huge advocate for free speech and for artistic creativity. Most of the people who condemned the satanic verses had never read it. Um, you know, I think when I was 20, I made a point of like walking around carrying it so that people could see that I had it as some kind of, you know, fairly immature, I guess, um, uh, mark of solidarity. But, you know, whereas most Canadian journalists have never known the kind of targeted, calculated hate to which uh, Rushdie was subjected, I've been really disturbed in the last few months and in the last few weeks in particular, at the targeted campaigns of hate and intimidation that are being leveled at young women in Canadian journalism, especially women of color. And I saw so many of them speaking out and sharing stories of the I mean, truly horrific, nasty, vicious, just you know, mean-spirited, racist crap they've been putting up with. And I thought back to you know, my 30-year career as a journalist, where when you got a threat, the culture of newsrooms was that you were supposed to kind of shrug it off, laugh it off, uh, you know, not dignify it with a response. And I certainly didn't receive as many threats as, as some people, you know, someone like Kim Bolin, uh, you know, the remarkable right. uh, reporter for the, for the Vancouver Sun has had, you know, the most serious death threats of any Canadian journalist I know, uh, you know, really targeted, concentrated death threats. I've known women of, of my generation in journalism who had stalkers, who, you know, made stalker walls like you'd see in an episode of a bad police procedural. But since, you know, since the Internet, since Twitter, since Facebook, there's kind of been an escalation in just threatening abuse. And maybe it's not serious. Maybe it's not real. 
But a campaign of terror is designed to terrorize you into being quiet, even if the guy in his mom's basement has no intention of actually physically hurting you. And I thought back to all the years that I just took it on the chin and it was like, you know, being one of the guys meant you didn't ever let on that you were intimidated or that your feelings were hurt. You know, you laughed this off. And I thought about all the young women journalists I'd mentored over the years to whom I said, oh, you know, you just have to grow a thick skin. Don't pay any attention to it. Just, you know, just don't give them the satisfaction of knowing that they bug, you know, that they got to you. And I wondered, was that the best advice I should have been giving? And I'm kind of happy and proud to see journalists in their 20s and 30s saying, no, you know what, we're not going to accept this as as normative in our industry. Yeah, and, and there is there is a line between disagreeing uh, and, and some of what we've been seeing of late, and it feels like that line has very much been crossed. I, I don't know what it was like. I mean, I think we were both in newsrooms, uh, you know, in the same eras, you know, back when it was, again, people were said, hey, you know, that's just part of the job. You know, that's just part of, that's part of being in the public eye. But I don't think we're, since uh, social media has come along, it's all been so public and we can see just the vitriol, even to your Twitter thread, the sort of vitriol that was thrown your way. Yeah. I mean, sometimes yeah. it, boggles, I mean, you know, it really I mean, boggles the mind, you know? Yeah. You see, the thing is, I'm used to it, right? Because like long yeah. before social media, I used to get hate mail that people actually had to, you know, get a piece of paper and handwrite a letter and put a stamp on it and mail it to me at the paper. You'd be amazed what some people sent with a return address on it. You know, one death threat that was so serious sounding that we actually took it to the police, which is lots of. I remember one that was written in beautiful penmanship, like a, a lady's hand on beautiful note paper, blue with little birds. And it said, Dear Paula Simons, you will burn in hell for all eternity, you and your sodomite-loving friends at the Edmonton Journal. And it went on like this, and it ended like, you know, yours sincerely. And so, you know, hate mail is not a new phenomenon. Uh, but I was an early adopter of Twitter. I've been on there since 2009. And it was frictionless to insult people, right? You didn't even have to look up their email address. You certainly didn't have to use a letter and a stamp. And, you know, I don't block people because because I don't. I mute people. If you think I've muted you, you're probably right. I don't you, Ben. I mean, people, people listening. Yeah. But, you know, but just in, since the convoy, things have escalated to a fever pitch that I've never seen before. And I've seen a lot. Uh, and I'm not certainly the primary focus of it. But when I see some of these, you know, young young female reporters, especially reporters on Parliament Hill, the kind of abuse that they are receiving is exponentially worse than what I considered par for the course. And, you know, I mean, I remember a tweet somebody made of me a few years ago. It was like a meme. And because my, my I have a Jewish family background, they photoshopped me into a cartoon of a Nazi death, you know, gas chamber. So a picture of me in sort of those, you know, uh, concentration camp prison stripes and then, you know, me, me dying in a gas chamber. So that's not very nice. No, that's not very I, nice. I, but, but that's different. I mean, what some of these women are receiving now is so much worse than that. It's shocking. And I'm not easily shocked. What and and you're right. Speaking out is the right thing to do, even even if it. Um, but it, it feels almost as if, if and, and one of the things that's been very noticeable of late is that they've been speaking out and not getting much back for it. 
Uh, we've read some criticism of sort of, 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 of different police forces where they say, listen, I'm receiving these threats and they worry me. Like these are escalating and they're not getting the kind of response that one would think they might. I mean, as a lawmaker, how do you look at it? Well, you know, it's, I mean, uttering threats is a criminal code offense. You can't just threaten people. But even if the threats seem over the top and exaggerated, the challenge is that lots of these things are phrased in such a way that they are not a, you know, they're not saying, I am coming to kill you. They say things like, I hope you die soon. Or, you know, uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. These, yeah. these people, I hate to use the word sophisticated, but they are sophisticated enough to choose phrasing, which would make it very difficult in some instances to actually file a criminal complaint. That said, some of what I've seen be, women journalists sharing uh, seems to me pretty clear cut, um, you know, menaces and, and threats. And, you know, some of them are, are from anonymous accounts, which makes them hard to hold accountable. But in some cases, these women know who is threatening them. And the threats are escalating. And the threats include, you know, not just threats of, of death, but threats of sexual violence. You know, as I say, this, this is not a new phenomenon. I remember my daughter's now 25 and living in Vancouver. But when she was quite young, I remember a, a guy who wrote to me and said, basically, he hoped that she'd be raped one day. Uh, you know, and I think at the time she was four. So that's that's awful. That's unbelievably yeah, I, I, awful. I, I, you know, and at the time I thought that's like that's about the worst you could get. And now I see what what women are putting up with today, and I'm really proud of the fact that whereas I, you know, was determined I was not going to let them get under my skin. I was going to be tough. I wasn't going to be a whiner. I was going to be weak. I wasn't going to be a victim. Blah blah blah. Uh, I, I'm really happy to see people standing up. But that was not the question. You asked me what should, you know, what should yeah, yeah. I, mean, should I, I take as a, a quick senator break. be doing we'll, about this? We'll take, I'll ask you about that again. We'll take a very quick break. I'm speaking with independent senator for Alberta, longtime journalist Paula Simons. We're talking about what Bob Ray referred to as Bill Graham, the late Bill Graham, a very a very nice man to, to deal with in politics for sure, about the idea of being uh, disagreeing without being disagreeable. And then, you know, the attack on Salman Rushdie and just all the different, the amplification and sort of the, the escalation of the kinds of threats people are in public life have been receiving, specifically, as Paula was mentioning, of late uh, journalists, female journalists mainly in Ottawa, uh, journalists of color in particular, and just some of the vitriol that they're subjected to. When we come back, I'll ask Paula that question again about what can be done, what can lawmakers do to try to tackle the problem? Because it feels like we're heading towards something where something bad's going to happen, and then everyone's going to say, well, we saw it coming. And you certainly don't want to reach that point. We'll be back with that. Always a pleasure to have Paula Simons, the independent senator for Alberta, with us and longtime journalist, of course. We're talking about just uh, really the attack on Salman Rushdie on Friday, but the aftermath of that, in the aftermath of that, Paula wrote a Twitter thread, a social media post uh, in many chapters, just about speaking out about threats and why we should be taking threats seriously. We've certainly seen an uptick in the kind of uh, threatening language that a lot of people in public life have been subjected to over the past while. Um you were saying how important it was to speak out. And I guess as a senator, one of the things that's always tricky is, is, is there a way to bring about, um, to bring, to, to turn down the temperature a bit? But it's, it seems hard. How, how do you solve this problem when it seems that people can get away with it with impunity? It's a really good question. I mean, the government right now is wrestling with the idea of some kind of legislation to police what they call online harms. 
uh, Minister Pablo Rodriguez, the Minister of, of Heritage Canada, you know, inherited this file from his predecessor, uh, Minister Guibault. I mean, it's it's been a challenge. Their first their first round through, there was huge pushback from people in the legal and uh, you know civil liberties communities, because you know you cannot have a government policing mean tweets. You know, you can't have the state saying, you know, you were mean to someone on Facebook, and so the government's going to take down that post. Uh, I'm happy to say the government is backing off from that more interventionist philosophy and is looking instead at ways that it can ask uh, platforms to be more accountable and more transparent in what their rules are for taking down abusive tweets and Facebook posts and comments on YouTube. And I think, you know, they're trying to convince the big platforms, the big social media platforms, that it's in their long-term best interests not to pollute their platforms so that people and advertisers uh, pull away from them. So that is that is one method, but it's it's not a simple one because you can't just have the state intervening when people, you know, if, if people call me a fat pig on Twitter, that's not actionable. It's not nice. Someone, you know, somebody should be ashamed for saying that to me. But I certainly don't want to live in a country where you can't say rude things to politicians. Um, that can't that can't be what we ask for. It's not nursery school. On the other hand, I, I think it is really frustrating when I see police services, and I'll include parliamentary protective services, saying to women, whether they're journalists or politicians, well, you know, it's not an overt threat. Well, you know, we don't think he's serious. Well, we don't really think this is something you have to worry about. Because, you know, you don't need to be an Ayatollah issuing a fatwa. All you need is one angry, and I hate to be sexist, but one angry man who gets wound up, who is convinced by all of the disinformation and misinformation and political hysteria online that somehow some female journalist or some female politician uh, is the source of all his misery and injustice. And, you know, we think of Canada as a peaceful place where assassinations don't happen. But, you know, the temperature is very is very elevated right now. And when I see mainstream politicians, both in my home province of Alberta and in Ottawa, amping up the crazy, whipping up a frenzy, and maybe they're doing it in a calculated way and they know that what they're saying is not true and they know that this is performative and they expect us to understand that this is almost you know, tongue-in-cheek what they're saying. But I'm really worried that there are angry, disaffected Canadians who don't understand that this is a political performance, that this is a kind of uh, kabuki theater. They're going to take this stuff literally, and somebody is going to get hurt. And it's not just women who are being targeted in that sense. It's, you know, everybody in public life in this country. And we've seen we'd have to look no further than Joe Cox in Britain as a shining example of, of, of just how, how you know, what, what the very dark side of that looks like. Um, yeah, you know, and, and the man who killed Joe Cox, he wasn't a deep political thinker. He wasn't a terrorist. He was no. somebody who had who, who was smushed down by life, who had a profound sense of grievance and saw in Joe Cox somebody that he could hold responsible for all his bitterness and all his failures and all, everything that had gone wrong. And you don't 
that that is that is at the end of the day the challenge. I always used to joke that the guy who issued a death threat to me and signed his letter with his home address probably wasn't serious. What I worry about is the guy I don't see coming. So speaking out, I mean, you did. Uh, you're now seeing yeah. others who are in a different way. Uh, it, it's it's an interesting change. It's an interesting. It'll be interesting to see if speaking out makes a difference, because obviously not speaking out didn't. You know, and th- but this is the challenge, right? I mean, I made a choice to screen capture two of the more particularly luridly nasty letters I received and to add them to Twitter. Now, what did I do? I just did exactly the thing I'm always telling people not to do. I fed the trolls. I gave them attention. I showcased them to a much larger audience than my inbox. I could have been you know, a more measured and mature person and simply erase their emails and not never have given them the satisfaction of knowing that I'd even read them. Um, did I do the right thing? I don't know. I mean, by posting those emails, I think it was very eye-opening for people to see exactly the kind of nasty mail that women in public life get all the time. And I think sometimes people who don't have public lives are honestly taken aback uh, you know, those letters were not anything unusual. Uh, did I? I don't know. I don't know if I did the right thing by posting them on Twitter. We'll see. Uh, it feels like it had to be shown, at least, so people do understand what's out there. And it's called out. I mean, that's the only way to stop it, is that people call out that kind of behavior. It's like anything, right? Uh, Paula, as always, thank you so much for your time. We've run out of time, but thank you so much for joining me and explaining <laughs> the thoughts behind your Twitter thread. I, I appreciate okay. it. Take care, Ben. Bye-bye.